a few weeks to get through this. I'm not going to put a time frame on it because you know how that goes. I'm just going to end up proving myself to be a liar. So we're just going to get started and uh, and uh, go as long as it takes and uh, and see where God, what God has for us next. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord. Um, that All the songs, Lord, they say pretty much... You know, what we want to say, that's, that's the neat thing about worship. And so, Lord, we just can't say enough about who you are. And the, the, the longer we walk with you and the more that we desire to learn of you, Lord, the more that you want to reveal of yourself. This, it's been this way since the beginning. Um, you know, the extent to which we come to understand you is going to be the extent in which we, we desire to understand. And so, Lord, that's why we come here Um, and meet uh, at these times to take a deeper look, to understand things that are not necessarily, you know, evident right on the future, on the, on on the surface, sorry. Um, But yet uh, uh, the the depths of of who you are and what you have communicated to us with your word, Lord, is just, it's pretty staggering. So Lord, open our eyes and help us to see these things. But as usual, Lord, as we look at this, you know, we don't want to get caught up in the ooh and the ah and, uh, uh, you know, and all of the, the, the frilly stuff. But we want to understand this from your perspective because there is so much to see. So again, open our eyes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're gonna start. We talked about this before the holidays um, that uh, with this, uh, what I'm calling the genius of God in Genesis. This is something that I've been alerted to or had been alerted to a few years ago. I knew it was there pretty much all along. Anybody that studies God's word does. Um, but I, you just, it's just not something that, you know, it's just kind of cool to read on your own. And I never really thought about actually putting it into a format to where it could be taught and shared just because there's so much information. And you'll see why, what I mean by that. And so it's, it's easy to get wrapped around the axle in the fluff. And we don't want to do that. That's not our purpose. And so as we move through this study, you're going to see some strange things. Uh, some of you are familiar because you've sat under my teaching long enough to know. We will be looking at, at some Hebrew letters, the meanings of these letters and all of that stuff. And again, it's, it's easy to, to, to ooh and ah about it. But what I'm trying to communicate here is just the depth at which God when he gave us his word, the depth that is available there for those who will take the time to really dig for it. Um, he'll meet us where we are uh, uh, superficially and, and walk with us, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have that desire to go deeper, to see a side of God, maybe that you don't normally see as he sort of reveals these, I don't want to call them secrets because they're not secrets, at least from the understanding that we have of the word, but just the depths of who God is and what he has communicated to us in our word. Because let's be honest, for most of us, we take his word pretty much for granted. I mean, we, we very seldom spend any time in it. Um, and that's why we do these studies that we do, whether it's Sunday morning or Wednesday night, is to get you know, to to get to the point to where we're communicating the stuff that, that you don't normally pick up when you just pick it up and read it. That's if you pick it up and read it at all. So we're going to take a, a few weeks, as I said, to go through this and to see some of these amazing things. Now, I never had a title for this, uh, and this stuff is all available. I'm not going to teach anything here in the next few weeks that's not available on YouTube or Google or anything. You can find all of this stuff. I'm just bringing it, trying to bring it all together. And initially, like I said, I did it for myself and kind of put it together where it would make sense to me. 
And that's when it became like, hey, you know, this is something that could be shared and I think might benefit some folks. So we're going to take a look at this. Now, we're going to really just look at, it's going to take us, uh, you, you hear me all the time say we could spend like literally a lifetime on a single verse in the scripture. And we could definitely do this in the passage, and you'll see why here. Um, but we're just going to really look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, because, and, and by the time we get through that, you will see that, uh, and hopefully it will spur you on to want to pursue these things on your own. Um, but, you know, we could just, we could keep going on, on Genesis and it just not, you know, not do anything else and just be literally dazzled with the things that we're learning. But we're going to focus on that first verse, and uh, we're going to be lucky if it takes us a few weeks. It could take us some time because there is so much here. So as I was compiling all of this over the years, um, I just, you know, was just like, Lord, this is genius. Just, and that's how this title came. I don't normally title uh, things that I do. I know a lot of people uh, don't like that, you know, the, well, what's that sermon title, you know, so I can find it on the website. I don't, I don't do sermon titles. And the reason is, I have always felt that the priority is God's Word. And so if you're looking for something that, that has been taught here in the fellowship, then you need to, you know, I do it by passages, okay? By, unless it's a special teaching like over the holidays or something, that's different. But on a typical expositional uh, exegesis, which means to go in and pull all the, the little stuff out, which is what we're really going to do here tonight, um, I, just, I just prefer like, you know, Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, because I know, you know, I've had questions in the past over a particular passage, and um, and I would go to these, you know, guys and see what somebody else is saying about it or whatever, and it was I couldn't find it because the the title doesn't give me any clue where they are, and it's like, no, I want to know what this word means in verse three of Matthew chapter one, and I want to know where to be able to find that, and so that's long ago I decided, look, the title of the message is the word of God. It's the passage that we're looking at. I don't need fancy and frilly. I don't, I'm not interested in those kinds of things. If there's something I want to learn, I want to be able to find it. And so, so I set up the titles more in my mind for a, for a point of reference, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So we're going to be looking at this. Uh, and and with the little snippet that I gave here, I guess it's been a few months now. Uh, we're going to really, and I mean this in a literal way, literally take this particular verse apart piece by piece, word by word, letter by letter. Because Jesus very clearly said, look, every jot and every tittle. That means to the smallest stroke of a pin, don't believe, you know, don't get mixed up because a lot of people say, well, it's a dot and it's this. It's not. It's the way the letters are written with the little things on them. Those are what we're talking about, the stroke of a pin, because I've shared with you in the past uh, when I was doing the Hebrew, if you don't get uh, that just this little gap in this one particular, and I'll show you when we get to it, if you don't get that connection and a little bit of an overhang, you're pronouncing the chet instead of a hey, because they look identical except for that. The, the dalet is uh, uh, the, the fourth Hebrew letter, and the resh, resh is round, whereas dalet is a straight-looking seven. If you don't get that, then it changes everything. And that's what Jesus was talking about. That's the criticalness, but that's the tension that God 
gave us his word and inspired those who would communicate that to us, the authors of the scripture, in other words, um, that, that he wanted us to know these things. And so that's what Jesus meant, that every single small stroke of the pen is going to be fulfilled because it all has meaning. Well, and we should understand that because it comes from God. So we're looking at Genesis. We're going to look at the first verse. Uh, of the first chapter. So just a little background. I know that probably for you guys that are here, you probably already know this, but most people don't know. Where does the word Genesis come from? Well, we get it from the Greek because English, you know, comes more off of the Greek, whereas the Greek comes off of the Hebrew. Um, But the Greek is uh, genesis, and it means origins or beginnings. That's what it means. But the Greeks took that from the Hebrew word bereshit. It's actually reshit is the, is the whole thing. And so what reshit is, is imagine origins or beginnings. So, so for the Jew, the book of Genesis is called bereshit. Okay, and it means in beginning. I'm not going to take the time now because we're going to break that down and you'll see it when we get to it. But that's that's if they say uh, Bereshit, they're talking Genesis because it's the book of origins. So that's where the title comes from. So it goes from Hebrew Bereshit to the Greek Genesis to us Genesis. That's how it all happens. Okay. So, so the one thing that, that anybody that knows anything about studying God's word and teaching God word, God's word knows that because it's the book of origins in any of the languages or the book of beginnings, that if you want to understand doctrines, for an example, uh, teachings uh, or instruction, if you want to understand those things, you have to find where they first appear. And here is a problem that I've mentioned many times in the church today and has been for the, for the past few decades, is that everybody wants to understand, let's take a, a, you know, a, a, a simple word like sanctification. So everybody wants to understand sanctification from a New Testament perspective. But what they're failing to understand is that the concept of sanctification being set apart comes not from the New Testament. It comes from the old. And salvation, the doctrine of redemption, as a matter of fact. So it appears that we are, uh, you know, have, have concluded or are in a sort of a, an intermission in our whole of the book study. But the reality of it is, since the whole of a book is the whole of the book is about Jesus, even this is the whole of the book. You see what I'm saying? And that's because the whole of the book, the whole po- point of what we studied there was the Redeemer. It was redemption. To, to be bought back or to be paid for. That's what the whole thing understands. So if you want to understand the doctrine of redemption, you don't look in the New Testament. You can find it there. But if you want to understand its origin and how it developed, you got to go back to Genesis. Okay? And you got to understand, because it, the, if you want to understand what it means, you got to go back to the source, to the origin, to the beginning. So, so that's the idea of, of, uh, of Genesis. Now, with that in mind, Genesis, because it is the book of origins, will tell us everything that we need to know about who God is, what he's doing, and what he has yet to do. In the very first book of the Bible. Now, I'm not saying in any, by any stretch of the imagination, we don't need the rest of the way. We do. It's all inspired by God. So it's all vitally important to us as believers. But everything we need to know is found in 
the book of the source, the book of origins, the book of Genesis. And what we'll see in there is in words that we just like Bereshit, beginning, uh, Genesis, uh, Genesis, all of these words and that very word itself tells us everything that we need to know. And we're going to break in particular that word down, word, I mean, sorry, letter by letter, phrase by phrase, because it is absolutely breathtaking to see um, what, what God has done in communicating that to us. So Genesis then, the book of origins, God has already told us all that he will do. Now, these are passages that, because I use them all the time, I know you're familiar with them, but if you're not, you don't remember, keep these, these verses in mind. Add them to your memory verse list. They're not verses that typically people have as memory. You know, we have John 3.16 and Galatians 2.20, Romans 1.16, you know, we, you get what I'm saying. Um, you get all of these verses. We all know Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, and, you know, Psalm 23. We all know those things because we've committed them to memory because they're, they're amazing. And yet verses like this, for whatever reason, we don't commit them to memory because we read them, and though they're fascinating, they don't sort of grab us. But hopefully we'll change all of that as we go through this. So this is a passage that, again, I, I, I make reference to all the time and will continue to do so because I think it says everything. So this is from the prophet Isaiah. And the Lord here is speaking, and he said, remember the former things, notice, from forever. Oh, so in that first phrase, that's telling us something that most of us just continue to read from there. This is just telling us that this has been established before there was this thing we go as, as time. It, did, it was always there. Remember the former things from forever. Holy cow, it, this is where it's hard for me, for people like me that study, because in each of these phrases, it's like you could just go on and on. Remember the former things from forever, for I am God, and no other is God, even none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the past things which were not done, saying, my purpose shall stand and I will do all my pleasure, which literally means I will do as I have said I will do. He will fulfill his word. But there's two phrases in there. The first one is declaring the end from the, end, from the beginning. Now, we know that the Scripture, we talked about it Sunday, we talk about it all of the time, that there's a period of time that the Scripture very clearly identifies as the end of days or the last days. In fact, a study of the last days comes from the Greek word eschat, and we get eschatology comes from it. It's a study of the end times. So what is this telling us in Isaiah right here? If you want to know the end times, right, then where do you look? At the beginning. But we never do. We look at the end times and try to understand them from the perspective of, quote-unquote, the New Testament. But the Scripture here is very clearly telling us, if you want to understand the end times, you go back to the beginning. That's where the understanding of the end times is found. What do you think Paul and Peter and, and Jude and all of the others that, and of course, Jesus is Jesus, so he was there when, and actually was the one speaking these words. So, you know, but all of the rest of what do you think that they got there, what we call New Testament theology from? Their doctrine, where do you think that they got it? They got it from the Old Testament. It is vital and so important, which is why I say it repeatedly and again will continue to do so, that there was no such thing as a New Testament when these guys taught the things that we now call the New Testament. It didn't exist. 
So they're getting their, what we call theology and their doctrine from somewhere. Well, where are they getting it from? They're getting it from the Old Testament. Because maybe they knew if they were going to speak on the things that have to do with the end, the last days, the end of days, whatever you want to call it, that, the, that to understand those, you'd have to go back to the beginning. So God says, there's no one like me. There, I have no equal. There are other gods, small g. We've talked about those here. Those are the, the God's heavenly council that betrayed him, and, and, and now the nations have fallen after Babel, the 70 nations, which he will restore back into the kingdom again when the Lord comes. In fact, remember the gospel went out to those very nations in the book of Acts. God's starting to draw the nations back into a relationship with him, which is why you and I, who are Gentiles here, are now being drawn into these things. It isn't Jewish. It's God. So we're being drawn back into these things because God's fulfilling his promise. Just what he says here. I'm going to do, all my, I'm going to do exactly as I've said. So I'm going to declare the end from the beginning. And then the next phrase is just as important. From the past, things which were not done. You want to know what's going to happen? All you got to do is look back. Don't look forward. Don't look now. Look back. Understand what I have already communicated from forever. So, so we see very clearly in this 46th chapter of Isaiah that God is saying, look, if you want understanding of who I am, what I'm doing, and what I've yet to do, then you need to go back. You need to understand where this has all come from. This is why I have such a problem with this foolishness today in many churches to stay away from the Old Testament. God said this, not Isaiah. If you have a problem with going back to the Old Testament, your problem isn't with Rick or people like me. Your problem is with God. He very clearly here is saying this. So if you don't want to look at the Old Testament and understand the things that we're talking about from the beginning, then you got a real problem with God. Maybe you ought to think about whether you should be teaching or not, I would say, but it, well, that's for another time. So clearly here, God is communicating this. Now, when we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, and we did make reference to this, I believe it was this last Sunday, it might have been the Sunday before, but anyway, uh, that which has been is that which shall be. And that which has been done is that which shall be done. So one is they will happen, or, or uh, uh, that the, the, they'll exist. The other one is that they will be completed. And there was nothing new under the sun. See, again, how many times can I say this? We think that we're living in unprecedented times. You're not. You're not. As messed up as the world is, and it is messed up, it's been this way all along, you guys. We're just oblivious to it because we don't learn from the past. We're not interested in the past, right? So there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it may be said, see, this is new? No, there isn't. It has already been in the days of old, which were before us. So this is Solomon and Ecclesiastes, the son of David, the one of the, the wisest men to ever walk. This is what he's saying. There's nothing that's happening in my kingdom that hasn't already happened. And by extension, there's nothing that will happen in the kingdoms yet to be that hasn't already happened. It's already there. That's why history, as I said Sunday, is his story. 
Because if you understand history from that perspective, all of a sudden it takes on a new meaning rather than just looking at a bunch of, you know, uh, you know, facts in a book. You understand that this is what we see in history since it's his story. is telling us everything we need to know about who he is. Okay? So there's nothing new under the sun. There's another passage in the ch- third chapter. That which has been is now. Okay? And that which is to be has already been. You see, again, we're sure the times couldn't be worse than they are now. Well, according to Ecclesiastes, you're wrong. I mean, the, whole, the, the horrible stuff that we see happening in the world, it doesn't matter what you want to talk about. The world has already seen it. There's nothing new. We've already seen that. So, so we've got to act, stop acting like we live in these days and, oh, if these guys had only lived in our days and known how tough things are. Really? How many of us, our lives are threatened to come to church tonight? Where currently, as we sit, we know that there are brothers and sisters in the Middle East who, if they're doing this, they're being arrested, they're being persecuted, and they're being martyred. And we just, well, you know, that's, and we just, we just, it's crazy. This is how the world has been all along with God's people. It started with Cain, remember? The difference between religion, Cain, and redemption, Abel. Religion will never tolerate redemption, period. End of story. I will go to God and he will accept me, Cain. God said, no, I won't. Abel comes with a sacrifice, redemption. Something has to pay for the, the, the distance that exists between me and God. That's acceptable. Religion, going to God and doing what you think is right, is not going to work. doesn't matter what books you read. doesn't matter what songs you sing, what clothes you wear. It doesn't matter what denomination you say you are. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is do you understand that the only way to God is through that cross? If you don't, then you have a problem. It's not by being in this church and saying this number of prayers or doing this particular ceremony or that particular tradition. Those will accomplish zero. How do we know? Well, just look at the ones that are using it. So redemption is completely opposite because redemption is faith-based, whereas religion is self-based. I'm better than so-and-so because I say my prayers more regularly. I read more of my Bible. I attend more Bible studies. I, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. I sing better at worship. So this is, makes me better. That's the problem with religion now, as well as it was in the days of Cain and Abel, which, by the way, we're right outside the garden. So, so that which has been is now, and that which is to be has already been. Uh, so again, there's nothing new. What we're watching is nothing compared to what the world has already seen. We really think as bad as things are, it's as bad as Nazi Germany? Or as the pogroms in, uh, in Russia? Or, or with, with what happened in the Middle East when the Ottoman Empire was here? Do we, do we really think our times are worse? I mean, see, it's just crazy, but that's how we view things. Because we're just used to not having problems. So the problems, you know, they're so, and life is so tough. Uh, it's like, stop, stop. We need to stop whining and start recognizing this stuff, okay? The people of God have always suffered and always will suffer, okay? Jesus said, remember, if the world hates you, it hated me first. So what are we whining about? If they persecuted you, remember that they already persecuted me. 
Okay, so why are we shocked? It's, it's amazing. So, so what we need to understand, if we're going to look and understand that God has already communicated to us everything we need to know in the beginning, and the very first source, which we call the Bible, and in particular that first verse, then we need to understand the language of the Creator in His creation. So we're gonna, this is where we're going to develop this. We need to understand that what we read when we read Genesis 1 or when we study it or whatever it is, that we need to understand that its origin, we're finite. Words on a page are finite. But the words that those words were copied from are not. That's why Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will stand forever. So what God has communicated to us verbally that has been pinned down on paper or, you know, um, papyrus or whatever it is, sheepskins, whatever were used, do we need to understand the meaning behind that? Because God, once again, in creating, was explaining to us everything that we need to know. Okay? So we see this phrase, and, uh, and um, you can see I'm going to change, I'm going to be using, using different versions here. Um, and uh, this is, uh, I, I, I want to say this is uh, a light, uh, I can't remember which one this is. I should, I'll, I'll put, try to put the references in the future because we'll jump around because most of our versions would say, and God said, okay? But this one is truer. I want to say this is the American standard. I'm not sure. But anyways, and Elohim said, now, here is what it, let there be light. That's not what he said. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, please don't misunderstand. But I like the actual literal. And Elohim said, let light come to be. And light came to be. I love just the boom. God speaks immediately. There's a reaction to it. Because God is ultimately the source. He's the origin. He's the beginning of all things, right? So when he says something, the origin of that thing takes off because God has spoken it. And so, the, uh, and there was, is, is fine, but I like that God said this, and boop, and light came through. There it was. There was no, you know, you know, the little spark, and it started to get bright, you know, stop. It's just God spoke and said this, and I want light, there's light. It, it immediately responds to its creator. Okay, so in the account, uh, the creation account of Genesis chapter one, which is a sort of a, in case you get confused because people, the critics of the Bible will say to you, um, your Bible is wrong because Genesis chapter one and the days of, of um, creation are different than what Ge Genesis chapter two. That's because they're dorks and don't understand God's word. Genesis chapter 1 is an overview. Think of a movie scene where the camera is back and it's panned and you're seeing all of these things take place. That's Genesis chapter 1. Chapter 2, the camera zooms in on the, the prime characters. That's what Genesis 2 is. It's not a different account. It's a more detailed account. So don't buy this garbage, okay? that there's two different creation accounts. That's absolute absurdity and comes from people that do not understand what they're talking about and should probably just shut up. Okay? You can see this really bothers me when people challenge this stuff. It's, it's, and I'm talking believers that do some of this stuff. It's just, it's just ay, ay, ay. Anyway, so in the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, in particular chapter 1, we see this word said. Now, 
And he said, or and God said, in the Hebrew is vayomer. That's how it, and vay is and, and omer is to speak, okay? And Elohim said, vayomer, then let, uh, let light come to be, and light came to be. That, way, that phrase, said, Elohim said, happens 11 times in one chapter. So what that's telling us is God speaking is pretty important, okay? Because it, it, you know, it's repeated over and over and over again. So that tells us that there's something significant about this particular word, okay? But it's not the only one. Then we have Elohim called. So in one instance, he's speaking it. Once it exists, came to be. Once it exists, then he names it. He calls it something, okay? So he's, uh, he's making, he's identifying what it is, not for his sake, but for ours. So the idea of both speaking and calling are both actions that God is doing that only God can do, because only he is the creator. Nobody else can do this, all right? So this is why these things are, are so important for us to understand. When we see these words, it's really cool that God said, let there be light. But do you really understand what's being spoken here? I mean, the very fact that God can say something, and there's a, an immediate reaction, and when it's that way, then God identifies it as something. And then concluding with it, I could have gone on and on, and it was good. It was tough. It was, is, it was as it was intended to be. So it's just incredible. So again, our study on this and why we're doing this is, is I'm trying to communicate to you guys the importance of every single word. Because we, we, our thought process is not like that. And you don't have to be. Don't misunderstand. You're not, well, maybe some of you are. I don't know. But if you're not called to teach, this probably is not something that is, is a priority. But if, if, you're, if you're called to teach or if God has called you to a deeper understanding of his word, then these things are going to make sense. So if you're not like going, oh, man, I don't know if I want to read God's word, word by Well, that's fine. You don't have to. He's structured it in such a way that we can read it devotionally. We can read it, you know, intellectually. We can read it so many different ways. And it speaks to us because it's from him. So you don't have to do this, but I'm hoping to show you that even if you're not one that is going to do that, that there is a depth to this, which again, reveals to us the genius of our God, that there's so much more to him than we typically understand. We all know that, but we're going to try to at least get a little clearer grasp of that. Because obviously, again, we're finite. He's not. He's infinite. There's no way anyone finite can grasp the infinite. It's just not going to happen. There's no way that a mortal can grasp the eternal. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Okay? That's why we need to be changed, 1 Corinthians 15. So, so here's what we need to do. We need to understand this, what we're talking about. So to speak is to use words, right? That's what's happening as I'm speaking to you guys. I'm using words. Because that's how we understand 
or that's where our understanding comes from in communication. So to speak is to use words. But do you ever stop and think about words? What are words? Well, let's take a closer look at that. Words are formed by a combination of sounds. Look at the, uh, the word combination, okay? Well, look at formed and then the word combination. In the English language, the word formed is a one-syllable word, formed. But then you have combination. It's a multiple-syllable word, com-be-ne-shun. It's four syllables, okay? This even happens with, with names, okay? Rick, single syllable, I'm a single guy. Uh, sing, no, I'm not a single guy. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Just one thing. Whereas then there's Marie, two syllable. But in this phrase right here, it's a combination of sounds, right? So we, there's a four-syllable word. There's a single So We could do this for the rest of them. Words is obviously a single-syllable word. So, so it's a combination of these sounds, but what we, what, we, what we need to understand is that those sounds have something that, that form their basis as well. By the way, in Belize, uh, when we lived in Belize, with, with Zelda was here, um, they would say combination, very much like Spanish, because they tend to pronounce all of the words. Okay, um, so anyway, we just we'll just keep moving on. I got all kinds of stories I could tell you about the Belizeans, but we won't. Okay, so sounds are based on letters. It's letters strung together which give us a sound. Okay, why? That's why when we're working with the kids down here in a school or in any school setting, we talk about when they're when they're learning to read pronounce the letters. Look at the letters and recognize what each letter stands for so that you can come up with the word. Like, well, I'll just use serenity. Cat. Cat. So, cat. Cat. You see? We do this with our children to help them to understand what it is they're reading, and then we neglect to do it when we're reading the very Word of God. Shouldn't that tell us something? Because we'll just look at the word because we have the ability to read them without breaking them down. And we think, oh, that's all we need to know. But if we really get down into it, of course, English letters don't really have any meaning other than a sound. Not the same in Hebrew or in any other language for that matter. So sounds are based on letters. And then letters in a specific, specific sequence are sounds that form words. Okay? Ma-a-re-e-i. Marie. Okay? So if you break it all down and then you put all those letters together and you, 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 it forms this word and we've been doing this a long time. So we look at this and we know, oh, that's Marie. But we never stop and think about the letters that make it up because in the English language, the letters are not that significant other than the sound that they form. Now, this is the same in, in any other languages or almost all languages anyway, around the world, especially in the West. It's a little bit different when you get to the, to the Middle East and China and some of those places, but, but for our purposes, that's, that's all we need to understand, okay? So, so Hebrew, I'm, I call it the heavenly language. And here's the reason, and I have been challenged on this, just so you know. Well, how do you know that God spoke Hebrew? Well, because that's how he communicated to us. Just saying. So you think that in heaven, God, everybody speaks Hebrew? Yes, I do. Yeah, I do. There's no way to say that it isn't. 
It just isn't. So, so this language that we call Hebrew really isn't Hebrew. It's just that that's the one they, that the descendants of Abraham, uh, that Abraham adopted. But I believe these are the words and the letters that God used, and you'll see why, um, why I'm saying this. This is the language which is cool when you get to Revelation 5 and Revelation 7 because it talks about the, the throne room in heaven and, and everybody being gathered around that throne and from every tribe, nation, and what? Tongue, every language. So though Hebrew is the, the, the language I believe that God communicates with us in, the initial language, and then the variants of it, the Greek, the Hebrew, the, you know, fill in the blank, um, that that. In heaven, we'll all still have the ability to communicate our language, but somehow God is, all, everything that we say is going to intertwine. I, I just, it, it, just, it just fascinates me to think about this. But I'm calling it the heavenly language because it's the language that Moses used, uh, and actually even before him, but to, to describe for us the, the, the creative aspect of this. So this is why I say Hebrew is the heavenly language, and it, it, it just is. And the, that, that God sends Gabriel to uh, Mary and Joseph for the Christmas story, which we just talked about, obviously he's going to speak to them in Hebrew. When he, God sent Gabriel to speak to Daniel, Daniel grew up in, in, um, uh, in Babylon and in Persia. He started off in, in, uh, in um, uh, Israel, but he ended up in Babylon. So Daniel's primary, well, his, his native tongue would have been Hebrew, but he would have communicated in Aramaic. Because it was, the, it was the primary language of the day. When, you know, uh, if God had sent Gabriel to speak to Alexander the Great, what language do you think he would have meant or used? Greek. This is why Paul says, though I speak with the tongue of men and of messengers, we see angels. Well, how do angels speak? Is it a gibberish language, which some believe? No, it's not. They're messengers. They're carrying a message. So what language do they speak? Whatever language they're carrying the message in. Paul had that ability. If he was speaking to someone in Aramaic or someone that spoke Aramaic, he could speak Aramaic. Paul was a brilliant guy. If he was speaking to Jews, he'd speak Hebrew. If he was speaking to Romans, he'd speak Latin or Greek. If he was, you know, we, we could go on and on. Paul had the ability to communicate the truth of God in multiple languages, and that's what he means when he said, though I speak with the tongues, the languages of men and of angels, the ability of those angels to speak multiple languages to men. That's what he's talking about there. But we've, we've, we've butchered it to, to try to, some, that somehow the ability to do this shows that we're more godly, and it's just tragic. It's just tragic. And uh, this is why the church is in the condition it's in. All right. Now, I know this is a little difficult to, to see, okay? But I just wanted to show you. This, every single one of you guys out there, I've got this on my phone, I've got it on my computer. This is from the American, oh, I'm sorry, the Ancient Research, Ancient Hebrew Research Center. You can see it down there in the bottom left. And there's the website. You can go there, and this chart is available. Dr. Benner has made it available to anybody that wants it. I've got a copy sitting on my desk so that if I'm studying and stuff and I don't have, you know, don't want to pull my phone out or do this or flip out in the, you know, whatever I'm working on my computer, I can go to this. So everybody can get this. There's even like a poster size of this. Now, obviously not everybody's going to be interested, 
Okay, it doesn't mean you're going to hell. It just means if you're really interested, this will show you. Now, what you, what you need to look at is this is the development of the Hebrew language. And we're going to find out why this is Hebrew here in just a few minutes. You can see early on the, on the top left there, you can see the early and notice how it's all pictographs coming down. That morphed later on, roughly into the time of, say, uh, you know, say Abraham or something like that, it morphed into the second line. And if you know anything about Aramaic, Aramaic really, you find a lot in what we call Phoenician and stuff like that, all falls within this particular category. So there's an early and there's a middle, and then there's a late, and you see a lot of writings and stuff uh, in the late as well, okay? And then uh, you can see over here the modern Hebrew, and then there's the equivalent Greek, and the equivalent Latin on the right side. So this just shows you a development of how these words came to be. But notice where they start with Hebrew, that all of the other languages have flown out from that or come, come out from that, okay? So, so this is a chart that's available if you're interested in anything like this. And I realize most of you probably aren't. I can assure you, Marie doesn't have this on her phone. Um, so, uh, but, but it is available if you want it. And that's really the only reason I wanted to put it up there. Now, we're going to really focus on, in our study here for the next few weeks, on the early, the pictograph, okay, which is the earliest writing known. You're going to see why here in just a few minutes, versus the modern Hebrew. This is the Hebrew you always see me putting up here because it's the one that uh, we're, we're most, if, if you know Hebrew, you don't have to understand what the letters are, but you go, oh, that, that's Hebrew. You would know that. If you saw the, 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 the Paleo-Hebrew, the, the one right before that, you probably wouldn't recognize that because, you know, most of us don't study these things. So, so that's what this is for. I just wanted you to see it. That's all that it is. But we're going to focus uh, uh, on the, the earliest and the modern, Okay. But understand that there was development through, through the centuries, actually through the millennia, uh, as, as the language developed, okay? And then you can see that Latin, again, Latin and Greek are all tracing back to what? The Hebrew. Now, by the way, there are studies you can do, and you can find that in Sanskrit and Chinese and in all of the other languages, it all goes back to that first one. What a shocker, okay? So... So there you have it, uh, just a little bit of a chart. Now, here, just, to, just to show you some of this, and I know some of you have seen this before, and again, there's nothing here that you can't go search out yourself. This is dated 4,000 years, so 2,000 years before Jesus, and it was found in Israel, and you can see it there. It's pretty clear. Um, the, the ox head is obvious, okay? The, the, the almost P-looking thing is actually the Hebrew letter Lamed. So you've got an Aleph and the Lamed. Okay, so here's the uh, here's some of the stuff that this is what it says L. Okay, what does L mean? Well, it means the strong or uh, the strong one of authority. Okay, that's what it means. Now, when this was found, and to this day there is argument over whether or not this is Hebrew, but we know it's Hebrew, and do you know why? Because we're going to see as we move through that in the Hebrew language, long before this was discovered back in the 1900s, that the Hebrew language, each letter has a meaning, okay? Uh, so in other words, I'll just sort of give it away here. The Aleph, the first letter, means strength or authority. And the Lamed, the, the, the P-looking thing, which is actually like an upside-down J, um, 
that's the Hebrew letter Lamed, and it also means authority, but authority as it relates to a shepherd. So no other language could decipher this. This doesn't look Chinese, it doesn't look Greek, it doesn't look clearly, it doesn't look English, it doesn't look Egyptian, it doesn't look anything. So, so they were like, well, what language is this? Well, that looks like strength and authority. Wow, that sounds like, it looks like it might be the Hebrew language. Well, it is the Hebrew language. So what's El, the strong one of authority? Well, what does that mean? Oh, I don't know, God. Now, we just read a passage, Elohim, that's the plural of El. El, singular, Elohim, Elohim is, is the plural, okay? But you have to understand the differences in the language, okay? So the idea of the plurality there uh, in, in Elohim is expanding on the singular. It's not that there are more than one God, it's that this God is more than one. Does that make sense? Okay, so... In other words, the Trinity. Well, the Trinity isn't found anywhere. Well, you don't understand the Scripture then. That's just a dumb thing to say. The word Trinity, no. But the concept, you know, God said the Spirit was moving. So we've got the Word, we've got God, and we've got the Spirit in the first, the first verse of Genesis chapter 1. Really? You don't see the Trinity there? It's just sad. Just sad that people are more about scholarship and academia than they are about understanding the word God. And by the way, I'm talking about the church. Okay? We know the world doesn't buy this. We, we get it. They're, they're not believers. Why would they? But for people in the church, it's just the, the, the absurdity of this is... Now, I'm gonna, you're just going to look at a few more of these inscriptions. And again, you can find all of these online. But I just want you to see that... We're back to this whole letter thing. So these two, what, what doesn't look to us like letters, are letters and are communicating something. This is 4,000 years ago. Somebody was writing L, okay? So doesn't mean anything. There's a multitude of gods, little g's, but this is in Israel. So here's a couple of other ones, um, and I know you don't really see it because it's not highlighted there. Now remember, we're looking at Hebrew, so you're always reading right to left, Okay, so it looks like a head there. You can see and all that stuff. This inscription was discovered in 1999 by John and Deborah Darnell in Egypt. Egypt, <gasps> this inscription, but the Jews weren't really there. They were there in the days of Ramses. No, they weren't. They were there before. That's a whole other study for another time. This inscription is about 4,000 years old and is the oldest example discovered to date of the ancient Semitic script. That's what you're seeing there, little squiggly lines there. That's actually words, letters that form words. While an accurate translation of the full inscription is not possible, some of it's missing, a possible translation is many rise and toil from the, the word can't be read from the city. So, so even though you and I would look at this and not see a dang thing, it's telling us something. What language is it telling us in? Where did that understanding of this come from? Hebrew. It makes no sense in any other language. 
But it tells us all of this, and it's found just about the time Moses was in, was in Egypt. Imagine that. Okay, a couple more, and we're just going to flash through these. Um, Sinai, and Sinai, you know, as the Jews went to, to uh, the, the uh, Mount Sinai, um, with the etchings highlighted in black and the proposed Hebrew equivalents added in green. There you can see the green. That's the modern Hebrew with these pictograph, this or, or early Hebrew that we just talked about, added in green containing the name Ahisamach, overseer of minerals. Now, we don't know who this is. We don't know what, what he did, but obviously this is attributed to this guy. But the point is, the only way to understand this is Hebrew. That's the point. And this is found in Sinai, where I thought they wrote it with Egyptian hieroglyphs. Well, they did, but not initially. Okay? So, one more. This is Sinai 361, also the photo below. That's um, um, with etchings highlighted in black and the proposed Hebrew equivalents added in green, which contained the name Moses. Oh, in the lower right corner. Okay, whoops, whoops, gosh darn it. You, I clicked too fast. You can see there. Don't worry about it, but that squiggly thing, that's the mem. The W-looking thing is the Hebrew she, uh, shin, I'm sorry, which if you put the vowels into it, because remember, there's no vowels. Uh, it's Moshe. So it's Moses. Moses' name on this stone from, you know, about the same period of time, 4,000 years before Jesus, in Sinai. But, they, but the archaeologists tell us, oh, no, the Jews weren't there 4,000 years ago. It was later. Ay, ay, ay. Okay. So we're just about out of time, so I'm going to try to figure out where to stop here. So this is where we'll, 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 we'll conclude with this part. So the other thing is, unlike our our English letters, Greek letters, whatever, they, our letters function as letters, and they do a great job. Obviously, we're communicating just fine here, and it's up, letters are up there, and you're able to read it. But in Hebrew, there's much more to a letter than just it being a letter, okay? So there's a few things that we need to identify, and this will all make sense as we, as we go on, but for now, I know it's, you're, you're going, it's like overload. Um, but there's first, it's the, the letter is, uh, is conventional. It's, it's simply functioning as a letter. So the thing that looks like an X there is the modern Hebrew, Aleph. We're going to see it here in the, um, in the uh, uh, ancient. And of course, that's our letter A. So it just functions as that. But notice that it's also verbal. It's a word. It's Aleph. It's an entire word, not just A. That's a vowel sound. It's aleph, okay? It's, uh, there's, there's, you can see there, that's how you say the Hebrew. That's how you would write it, and that says aleph, okay? Now, what's interesting about this, uh, or I'm sorry, is that this, is, this now is where we get into this understanding uh, of, of how the, the word works. We're going to break aleph down because, uh, because there's three letters there. Each has its own meaning and has a numerical value. We're going to look at that here in just a second. But also, uh, the Hebrew, a Hebrew letter forms a picture, like we said. The aleph means strength and power. The bet means house or tent. Okay, uh, the dalit means doorway or gateway, so on and so forth. We're going to be looking at all these, so don't worry about it right now. Okay, function as a letter, and there you see, that's the letter aleph. That's what we saw carved on that rock to start with. It's the letter Aleph, okay? So that's what it looks like as a letter. But when you string it together as a word, the letter Aleph, and you say Aleph, this is what it looks like. Whoops, there's the A, 
there's the lamed, which we saw in the stone, okay? And that's peh. Believe it or not, that's a mouth. Peh means mouth, okay? So that's how it looks in pictograph if you send it out. So now you understand, or hopefully you're starting to understand why it was important that we looked at those pictures and stuff and understand that the earliest writings that are being found are all Hebrew. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to be translated. That's why it's significant, okay? Because that's the language that God communicated to us in about creation that we're going to take a look at. Fourth, that each number, they're numerical, each number functions as a number, okay? So our letters don't do that. A would be equivalent to one, B to two, but they don't function as that. We have, which by the way are Aramaic letters, we use Aramaic uh, uh, symbols, I should say, for our numbers, okay? So even the Aramaic deviated off that. Um, here's how it works. We're not going to take the time to break all of this down, but uh, you're starting in the left column there. So Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, He, Vav, Zain, Ket, and Tet. Okay, those are the numbers one to, to, to nine. I'm not going to pronounce all the others. We don't need to do that. But you can see how it, when you get to Yod, it jumps to tens, to increments of 10, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, up to 90. When you get to Kof, roughly the equivalent of our Q, then you jump to the hundreds. So uh, Kof, Resh, Shin, and Tauf. There's our Tauf, Aleph, Tauf. Right? First and last letters. I am the Aleph Tav, Jesus said. He didn't say I'm the Alpha and the Omega. You need to get over it. He was a Jew, speaking to a Jew about Jews. He's the Aleph and the Tav. Equivalent in the Greek, Alpha Omega, but he's the Aleph and the Tav. Keep that in mind as we get to Genesis 1. So if you're going to number something, this is how you would do it. So this is Yod, yod Bet, okay? So that number... Uh, your debate, this is how you would write the number 12 in the Hebrew language, okay? Um, this is Nun Dalet, okay? Nun Dalet is the number 54. I just, I just randomly picked numbers so you could see what was going on, okay? Um, and then this would be Tav, Pei, and Vav, okay? So if you can, you can add them all up, and if you can see how this all works, uh, Tav, Pei, Vav is 486. So this is how it works. So if you're looking at Genesis uh, in Hebrew, if you're looking at Genesis 2, verse 1, you would say, Bereshit Aleph Bet. Genesis 2, 1. Okay? That's how, that's how it works. Just so that you know. And then lastly, and I will conclude with this, they are also geometrical. In other words, there's a value that's placed on the, on the letter. Okay? And this is really significant and oftentimes misunderstood and overlooked, okay, in just the words themselves. So you can see this is our word. You see there's the A, the L, and the P. So that's Aleph, Lamed, Fe, which pronounced the, the word Aleph, okay? Each of them, those are the numbers based on what we just saw, okay? The numbers of that total, as you can see, the three of those, if you total, 111, now, you and I, as Westerners, would say, oh, it's 111, but it's not. In the Hebrew, this is how they break it down. One, one, and one. Not 100, and, not 100. I should have put 111. Sorry about that. You see the difference? So what do you see in the Hebrew language with the first letter, Aleph, in its numerical value, not its numerical space? You see Trinity. Father, 
is one, the Son is one, and the Holy Spirit is one. In the first letter of the language. But it's just a letter, is it? It's, it's really, really interesting. So we're going to have to conclude there. Um, I ran myself out of time yakking to begin with. Um, so so I'm trying to set the course to understand that when, what we're, when we read our English, which is great, thank God we have an English translation. I'm not in any way saying it's not important. But I'm saying if you want to understand the English, let's look at the root of that English word and watch how that word just blossoms. It just, it's just going to open up because... I hope what you're going to see as we get into this is literally going to dazzle you. I, I really do. And the reason I say that is not because of the study, but at the greatness and the awesomeness of who our God is, that this is the way he chose to communicate to us. It's absolutely stunning. And this is exactly why Jesus said, heaven, heaven, and earth will pass away, not might pass away, could pass away, probably will pass away. No, it will pass away. But my what? Word shall stand forever. Why? Well, because it was forever from the beginning. The word in the form that we're looking at existed before anything else. Because clearly God speaks. Who is the word that existed from the beginning? Jesus. What is Jesus called? The word. In the beginning, and literally that's not a time frame, but what it's saying is before there was a beginning, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Oh, the, Greek, the, the Greeks said, oh, we know what davar, we know what that means. That's the Hebrew letter uh, name for, for, the, uh, for word. We know what that is. We're going to use our word lagas. We get logic from it. Why would the Greeks choose a word that we get logical from, reason from, when they're understanding a Hebrew word that simply means word? Because they understood, the translators from the Hebrew into the Greek understood that what was being communicated there was reason, was, it was everything. So they word the word, used the word logos. Some say logos, it's actually logos, of which we get our word logic from, and it means to reason. So the very essence of who Jesus is as the word of God is reason. And that's why he could speak and be the creator. Colossians chapter one tells us who created. It was Jesus. All things were created by him and by him, nothing exists that existed. It's him. He's speaking of Jesus. Jesus was the creator. So now go back to what we said, the, uh, the, 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 the beginning. God said, I've done everything before. If you want to know about now, understand before. So there was Jesus before, and he speaks into existence. It was Jesus that said, let light be, and light became. Paul tells us that in Colossians. So it's just, it's truly, truly amazing 
the depth at, at what we're talking about here and the significance. And this is why when you study these languages, if your purpose is to go deeper, and again, you don't have to. Nobody, it's not required. But, but if you want to see this, a side of God that is just mind-boggling, that's, this is what you do. You break it down right to the very words and the source of those very words as the, as the Lord himself speaks and things happen. We call it creation. One last thing on this, on this davar. We've talked about this. I know many of you are already familiar with this. The word davar uh, is word or speak, right? Um, say is omer, but to speak is, is um, 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 davar. And, um, and to create is bara. And it means to just bring something into existence. It means, literally means to fatten or to fill, but it means to bring something into existence that didn't exist before. Light didn't exist until it was spoken. So you've got devar and you've got bara. And I know most of you know this. Um, there's one phrase in all languages, it doesn't matter where it is, which is a word that is used to bring something into existence that doesn't exist. In all languages, it is the word abra kadabra. What is a, a magician doing when he says abra kadabra? He's bringing something into existence. He's bringing something into light. You see, because abra kadabra is means I create a bara. I create kadabra. What I say what I speak. Abra Kadavra means I create what I speak, and it's based off of what language? Hebrew. It doesn't matter whether you're Chinese or whether you're from India or whether you're from Russia, whether you're from, from Mexico, whether you're from America or whatever, everybody knows that phrase. And we use it to do things that we call conjure, to bring something to exist. That's why the one language that everybody knows speaks of, of no understands as speaking something into existence is based off of the Hebrew language. It's it's just phenomenal when you really grasp what is happening. We've known this all along, but we're most of us oblivious to it. Whenever you say Abracadabra, you're speaking <laughs> you're speaking Hebrew. Most people don't even know it. When you get upset or something frustrates you, and you go, Hey Vey, you're speaking Hebrew. Right? You know, it's just that, you know, with all these phrases that we're sure are American. No, they're not. You know, uh, anyway, Mosultov, we all know that's Hebrew. But anyway, so, so there you go. Uh, that's, this is sort of the initiation. Um, and, you know, this is all just basically foundational stuff that we need to understand before we jump into the verse. We've got a couple more things to do, and then we'll, we'll look, uh, we'll start taking the verse apart. Now, understanding the importance of every single letter and how every letter, every single letter is structured with the letter both before and after it. And you'll see that it tells us everything we need to know because that's what God said. I'm going to do as I say. I, I, uh, if you want to know the end, learn the beginning. And that's what we're going to do. Amen? All right. Father, thanks for this evening. We thank you for your word. 
just how amazing it is, which shouldn't surprise us. You're an amazing God. You're understanding you're so far beyond us. It's not even funny. Even to use the frame, our God is genius, doesn't even scratch the surface of who you are. And yet you have communicated to us everything, not only that we want to know, but everything that we need to know. So, Lord, we're going to take our time to try to get a better understanding, a broader understanding of just what that means, because we will be literally dazzled with what we see. So thanks for meeting here with us this evening, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Have a great night.